Good evening and welcome to Chasing Prophecy on UPRN Radio Network FM 105.3 in New Orleans, where we discuss anything and everything beyond the scope of normal. I'm Jenny Nicasio, along with my co-hosts, Sean Kelly and John Ventry. Welcome, guys. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, Good evening. Kind, and, kind of different. I I don't know. I'm going to have to like, Our new manager. time, yeah. All I know well, is it's dark out. It's dark yeah. outside. It's dark yeah, it's out. Dark. And I, just, I got off of work at 6 o'clock in the evening, so it's like... Well, it's going to be a good night tonight. So remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, and we're on Twitch and Rumble and TikTok. So you can follow us on all those. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. And I just want to make sure everybody's here tonight. So we're on our new time, which is great because I love being on early. So I have more energy and more gusto. So what do you think? Does it think it's going to turn out, guys? Yep. Uh, well, we've got to work on it. No glitches so far. Yeah. No, so far. Yeah. Just my microphone's not working as usual, but that's okay. We'll get it straight one of these days. Boy, I tell you, it's been a crazy week. Thanksgiving week. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. We got you the dumbass. Already? We got the dumbass turkey questions already. At work. Dumbass. At work. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm one of those dumbasses because I went out yesterday to the market uh, district. I was asking the butcher, I go, which, which one would I do? Do I get a frozen turkey? Do I get a fresh turkey? Or do I go to the farm? <laughs> so it was you, the butcher, Josh Sean. What did he say? What do you recommend? Oh, no, yeah. Like they go and they want a 22 pound turkey. It's frozen solid. It takes about a week and I'm wondering if it can thaw out by Thursday. And I'm like, no, not at all. Hmm. And then they have to go yep. buy fresh turkeys. And unfortunately, they the fresh turkeys. Hey, Sean. So, Hi, Anthony. Has, hey, has there ever been a horror movie? Ever been a horror movie with a killer turkey? No, we should make one. No. Well, you think to get in, we kill, we kill what, 20 million a year? There should be a horror movie where the turkeys get even. Well, you know what? I did yeah. see a hunter come through uh, down the frozen now with a gun. He was uh, going turkey hunting. Well, you know, you're allowed to open carry in this state. You could wear a holster and a gun in plain yeah, sight. Yeah, most people do. Hi, Anthony. Glad you're on. If you have any questions, remember to put them in the chat for our guests. So let's get busy then, guys. And I hope you can hear me good. I know I probably sound echoey because my Mike is not corrected, right? But that's okay. We don't care, huh, guys? We don't care. No, not at all. I'm going to go ahead and find my... Okay, why is it doing that today? Okay. <clears throat> so tonight's guest is... Oh, he's phenomenal. I've been following him for a while. His name is Preston Bennett. Preston began investigating UFOs and the paranormal in 1986. Wow, 1986. And when he discovered that his family and his friends and his co-workers were having a dramatic, unexplained encounters, hmm. since then, he's interviewed hundreds of witnesses and investigated a wide variety of paranormal phenomena, which we love. He is a field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, MUFONT, a ghost hunter, and a paranormal researcher. Wow. And this is what I found amazing. I went through all his books. 
He's the author of 30 more books and more than 100 articles on the UFOs and the paranormal. And then several of his books have been on Amazon, UFO bestseller. That's the list. That's great. And you, as an author, you should understand being on the bestsellers list is it's a lot of work. And his, his articles have appeared in numerous magazines, including Fate, Atlantis Rising, MUFONT, UFO Journal, Nexus, Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, Phenomenon, Mag oh my God, Magazine, Mystery Magazine, and Ufologist, and others, to name a few. His writing has been translated, this is what I found fascinating too, in several different languages, including German, French, Portuguese, Russian, and I don't know how to say this one, so I'm just going to leave it out. I think Icelandic. And he's appeared on numerous radios and television programs, including Midnight in the Desert with Art Bell. That's amazing. Coast to Coast and also the History Channel's Deep Sea UFOs and UFOs Hunters. And his research has begun presented in the LA Times, LA Daily News, the Dallas Morning News, and other magazines. Oh my God. He has taught classes on the various paranormal subjects and lectures across the United States. And he currently relies in Southern California. I, I can go on and on, and you've just done so many things. So let's bring you on, and you can go ahead and continue on the conversation with us. And if I left anything out, um, make sure you, you explain to me. Hi, Preston. Welcome. Good welcome. evening and welcome to Chasing Prophecy, Preston. Thanks, guys. It's awesome to be oh. here. Thanks very much. Hey, Preston, did we ever meet at any conferences at the symposium or anything? I feel like we should have because I know who you are, but I'm not sure if we've ever met face to face. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of thinking a long time ago, maybe once ran into each other passing at an event. But I, I'm not sure that we've ever met, actually. No, it's entirely possible. I've been in this field a long time. I know you have too. So yeah. <laughs> um, I can't remember for sure. <laughs> All right. Hey, let me There's... ask you a question. Um, the, uh, you wrote a couple of books, UFOs, Over, and then the state name. How many of those did you write? How many states did you cover? Oh, gosh. I think it's six or seven. Let's see. Okay. California, Nevada, New Mexico, Colorado, too many of them. New York. Um, I feel like I'm, did I say Arizona? <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah. That's six. Yeah. How did you How did you get the UFOs over over title? Where did that come from? Just... Uh, well, I'm not really sure, honestly. Um, I think when I saw the book by Bob Teets, West Virginia UFOs. Oh, okay. I thought you know that would be a great book to write about California. Because I think, as far as I know, he was the first guy to ever yeah. put, do a book about a single state. Yeah, I'm like, this is a, a niche that's not been filled. Yeah, I, so, I wrote a, I wrote a UFOs over Pennsylvania book, but I got the title because I was in the Discovery Channel's first MUFON show in 08 that was UFOs over Earth. So I said, oh. uh, let's see, what should I call it? Uh, uh, UFOs over Pennsylvania. So I used that title. <laughs> so Preston. Now, in your bio, you mentioned your family and friends. Now, what was the first, the most, uh, the, the event that put you over the edge and got into this UFOs and the paranormal? What was it? It was actually a news story, <laughs> of all things, because uh, my brother had tried to tell me he's seen a UFO. I didn't believe him. I thought he was just lying, frankly. Uh, and 
all my other friends and coworkers and family didn't volunteer anything. <laughs> Everyone was keeping secrets from me. Uh, they probably knew I was pretty skeptical and not really receptive to it. But I remember the exact day that it all turned around. It was November 17, 1986. And you've probably heard of this case. I know, John, you must have. Because <laughs> anyone who's in this field knows about uh, the JAL Airlines uh, case of a sighting over Alaska with Captain Kenju Tarochi. Where that's the case that got me in this field <laughs> it was on the news. It kind of just made fun of this poor pilot. And I thought to myself, you know, this poor pilot is deluded. He's lying. He's seen a reflection over the ice cap. Why is he talking on the news about this? But it interested me enough to ask my brother again, my older brother, Mark, what he thinks he saw. <laughs> and I got a real shock. He's like, you re really, you really want to hear? I'm like, yeah, tell me. <laughs> And he described a really interesting sighting. And he was with his two friends, Phil and Greg, and they had a very close-up sighting of a metallic disc at night, but it was quite close to them, 50 feet away or so, treetop level, had colored lights on it, a dome, and they chased this thing for a good 15 minutes past other cars who were chasing it. Uh, it was totally silent, darting around, hovering, zipping way ahead. I'm like, are you serious, Mark? He's like, yes. I tried to tell you. He says, if you don't believe me, ask Phil. Ask Greg, his friends, which I did. And that got the ball rolling. I found out that I had several family members who had encounters, friends and coworkers. And some had had was, time and you know, face to face encounters. Was the military, after your brother saw that, was the military involved at all? No, not at all. Then no. hmm. this will be out in California. That's right, in Southern California, right outside so, of LA. So you do believe in underwater bases, then, right? I do. I I uh, did a lot of research uh, on USOs after receiving a bunch of reports off the coast okay. of California, and they just started piling up to a degree like I, I couldn't ignore it anymore. I can say that pretty much all the Southern California-based researchers were uncovering cases. Bill Hamilton, Ann Druffel, Robert Stanley, Yvonne Smith, and they were all reporting cases. So I'm like, hmm, I've got some too. And that, that's when I started digging in deeper, diving deeper, if you will. Did, uh, did you see anything yourself? Have you seen a UFO? Yes, I sure have. Uh, not growing up or anything. Uh, but after I started researching this, I was jealous. I wanted to see them because my brother had, and I knew all these people who had, and I was interviewing people. So, and if they said they saw one, you know, that night or the night before, I'd be like, can I camp out in your backyard? <laughs> I want to see one. And I was really aggressive trying to see one. And I started to see anomalous lights, which wasn't good enough for me. I really wanted to see something that I could point to and say, this is not a shooting star. This is no, not a satellite. And I mean, I saw stuff, but it wasn't until July of 1992, actually, where I had a sighting that was came down for me in a really much targeted way. Uh, and in brief, I'm driving home from my brother Mark's house and was about three minutes away, just heading down this tiny little side street called Galandrina in Woodland Hills. 
Again, this is Southern California. And I saw what I first thought was a bird swooping towards my car. Uh, clearly wasn't. This is late at night. It was glowing and round. And my second thought was, well, firecracker. But no, it wasn't that because it was coming down in this arc, in a sort of scooping arc towards my car, a parabola. And it was a little ball of light about the size of a golf ball, a little bigger, but bright yellow white, very solid looking and came right in front of my windshield and stopped. Wow. Yeah, that was very much, I'm thinking, is this a reflection? I'm looking at it, I'm like, no, it's not. Moved back and forth two or three times, stopped again, it's looking at me. That's the feeling I got. It was over the hood of my car, so very close. And it scooped down, swung down, almost brushed the pavement and went straight up. And I forgot about it. I completely forgot about it for a couple of months. And then just one day it came back into my head and reflecting on it, I think I may have had missing time. I cannot say for sure, but that was a big year for me. Following that, I had like four or five sightings that year. That's interesting. That I was going to say that, that you forgot about it. I said, how can you forget about that? But then you said missing time. Uh, you know, there are people who surmise that if you've seen a UFO, you've already been taken. I don't mm -hmm. know if you've heard that. That's a theory that, that people have is that actually this is when you see it, it's afterwards. <laughs> you know, they've already taken you. So uh, now is this before your uh, MUFON days that you could have investigated it? No, I, I had become a field investigator by 88. You know, the first okay. year I was just out of my mind. You know, 86, I found out about it. 87, I was in a complete panic, reading everything I could yeah. uh, and started interviewing people. In 88, you know, I found out there was this has been studied. I'm like, oh my God, you can you know join MUFON, become a field investigator, which I did. I took their test, which was then a take-home test. Yeah. Uh, they were they were, back then there weren't websites to go to because today there's all these websites they'll tell you exactly what's in the sky you put your zip code you know the date the time they tell you exactly what's in the sky i don't know what we had back then probably nothing you know other than calling the airport to ask them did they pick up anything on radar and half the time they're not going to cooperate with you yeah authorities weren't very cooperative i, I will say the police were cooperative they did take my number and refer to witnesses to me uh i was gung-ho i was going to find out what i could and still am to a certain extent uh, mm. you know sightings are interesting but i'm much more interested in people who've had direct contact i guess uh, but yeah this was a subject that really grabbed me by the throat <laughs> and wouldn't let me go now oh, um, with that ufo situation with your car now i have read that when the UFOs around the car, that the electronics in the car go haywire. Did anything happen like that to your car? I can't say that I recall that. It's entirely possible. You know, John, you mentioned, you know, has anyone who's seen a UFO been taken on board? Um, I started to realize there's some truth to that. Because yeah. uh, after, you know, initially I was interviewing people and they would have some of the markers of missing time and I wasn't picking up on it. I've come to realize that if something's close to you within a couple of hundred feet, um, this is a huge red flag. I think there are distant sightings that people have that right. you know, are not necessarily onboard experiences or anything more than 
a sighting. But if it's coming close to you and you're having repeated sightings, that is definitely, I think, a red flag. I didn't have any vehicle interference. I never have, actually, and I've had a number of sightings. Uh, but, yeah, that one I actually forgot about, which I've interviewed people who've had that. And I'm like, how can you forget about a UFO landing next to you? I get it now. I understand. Yeah. Hey, Preston, um, we've, Sean and, and Jen and I, we've had other guests on. We've talked about the orbs. Your orb is really small. Obviously, uh, some people might say that's not really a UFO. I mean, it is flying, but people associate craft with UFOs. What do you think the orbs are, especially when you're talking about something you know that big? Is it a probe? Is it a spirit? What would you say? The what would you feeling about this orb? Yeah, well, I've certainly investigated orbs, you know, spirit orbs as well in the paranormal because people started reporting all kinds of unexplained experiences. And I think some orbs are probably spirits. Uh, this one was very solid. I don't think it was a craft, obviously. I suspect it was a probe. I can't prove that. I've talked to a lot of people who've had these kinds of experiences. Uh, one lady, she described how she had a pro, you know, an orb. It was about the size of a grapefruit, she said. Huh. And she was driving down La Cienega Boulevard during rush hour and started circling around her car. And she's like, it was Ooh. the weirdest thing because pressing oh. all the traffic completely disappeared. <laughs> it was gone. Hey. Preston, we have a question from one of our viewers here, uh, from Anna Young. Is it true that most people that are abducted have a rare blood type? No. No, there has been a lot of buzz, I think, about RH negative, which does turn up, I think, perhaps in a slightly higher incidence than normal. Uh, but having interviewed a lot of people, I've started to ask that question. Not everyone knows their blood type. I can tell you that people all types are having this experiences people of all ancestries i've interviewed people who are you know not only caucasian but pacific islander and black and latino and you know, asian and all over the world uh it's in my files it's evenly divided 50 50 between men and women uh so there are i think there are some patterns we know it tracks families yeah uh, we know that people who have extensive onboard experiences often have a wide variety of paranormal events. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there are some patterns, but blood type, that really never panned out. Um, but it was interesting when that started to come out that some people with RH negative do seem to have a higher incidence of contact. Hey, Preston, your case is 40 years or so, maybe more after the Foo Fighters. Is it possible that we got that technology from Kamler, you know, with uh, Operation Paperclip, and what you saw was actually our militaries? Um, I, well, now obviously I can't rule it out. I don't think so, because I, I was pretty much a small fry back then. I'd written a few articles. My first book didn't come out until 10 years of being in this field, and I had written some articles for various UFO magazines and the MUFON Journal. But I don't think I was really noteworthy in terms of let's investigate this guy. <laughs> He's making waves. Uh, I don't know, perhaps, because this was in the middle of my investigation into the Topanga Canyon UFO wave, okay, which was a fairly big case. And I did, in fact, receive a call from some guy 
who I honestly don't remember his name, uh, but he claimed to be a colonel with a top secret clearance, did satellite mapping in Vietnam, I think, and kind of in a subtle way threatened me. Yeah. <laughs> Saying, you know, are you the guy who's doing UFO research? And I'm like, yeah. And he says, you know how dangerous that is for you. I'm like, what do you mean? He says, it's not what you think it is. I'm like, well, what is it? <laughs> he says, it's, you're barking up the wrong tree. I'm like, okay, what do you mean? He was kind of giving me the runaround. And finally, he just said, there's no pay dirt in it. You're not going to get anything out of this, which made me think, well, wait a second. If this is, there's no pay dirt in it, how can this be dangerous? Kind of talking in circles here. And uh, eventually, we just ended the conversation. But I kind of took that as a little bit of a, I don't know if it was an overt threat, but it wasn't very friendly. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I found with a number of the, let's say, bigger name people in the field, that the longer they stayed in it, that there's, there's a little bit of an escalation. And for some, it actually has turned negative. Has be, be, After those sightings that you had, would you say that anything else, even paranormal, happened five years later, ten years later, or or seemed to escalate with you? Uh, I did ha start meditating and having a lot of paranormal experiences, um, out-of-body experiences. I had some spirit sightings, uh, a lot of precognition. It's been very positive for me. I love it when the paranormal stuff happens. I started investigating ghosts mm -hmm. uh, and started looking into all aspects of it because some people were reporting paranormal experiences, which yeah. felt mm. to some extent related to all this. But no, I have not found it to be negative. Okay. Um, we have a question in, in the chat room from Holly. What was your most bizarre case you investigated? <laughs> Um, there's quite a few that are really strange. Uh, it's hard to choose. There's a lot of cases to pick from. Uh, but one that immediately comes to mind is this lady, who, a real estate agent and a psychologist. She quit real estate and became a psychologist. I met her at uh, a CE5 group. I had joined Stephen Greer's CSETI group. Uh, he came out here to LA and formed a chapter, and she was one of the members. And uh, I found out she'd had UFO experiences uh, her whole life, which were fairly run of the mill. Uh, but she did have a very bizarre experience where she was driving through the Wachung Mountains in New Jersey on her motorcycle. This was many years ago before motorcycles had, you know, ignitions. I used to live about 10 miles from there in Roxbury, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, this was a, a really nice lady and she crashed her motorcycle late at night, and this was on a remote road, and she wasn't expecting any cars to come driving by, it was cold, so she, and the motorcycle, she was fine, the motorcycle was a little bit banged up, the Kickstarter was bent out of shape, and she could not start the motorcycle, so she's wondering what the heck she's gonna do, and she says she had her biggest encounter of her life, because the Greys had come to her bedroom occasionally, it was a lot of dreams and stuff, and a few real close-up sightings, as a kid, she had a fully conscious experience where she's beamed by a UFO and sucked up inside, but had missing time. Uh, but she described how these two figures showed up immediately after her accident. 
and she was standing right next to them, a couple of feet away, not far. And they picked up her bike and one kind of motioned for her to step back a little bit and looked at her. These are largely humanoid. She said, not grays as we would think of them, but did have bald heads and large dark eyes and were wearing jumpsuits, five feet in height, uh, but could have passed for human with sunglasses and a hat perhaps, but very, very pale. And one kind of bent down, picked up the motorcycle and started straightening out the Kickstarter and apparently fixed it. Um, they set the bike up, stepped back, motioned for her to get on, which she did, started the bike, it started right up and they nodded at each other and off she went. That's mm. a very strange case. But I have other cases that are somewhat similar of ETs helping people. I have a question for you there, Preston. Um, you were saying in all the studying that you did and all the interviews, um, is there a particular race of people that the aliens or the UFOs are more attracted to, or is it about even all the way around? It's even all the way around. You know, I had someone say, hey, how come black people aren't getting contact? I'm like, well, hold on a second. I've interviewed several. Uh, okay. I, I don't see any prejudice in who the ETs contact whatsoever. And I did do a bunch of research into healing cases, people who report physiological improvements as a result of a UFO encounter. That was the subject of my first book. I found 100 cases. I've since you know, found well over 300. And these are coming from pretty much all major researchers out there. Not all, but pretty much. John Mack, David Jacobs, Bud Hopkins, Barbara Lamb, Edith Fiore. I mean, I could go on. Michael Hesseman, Timothy Good, Philip Mantle. All of them have cases. And uh, definitely I found a pattern there when I interviewed this lady from Norway who said, you're the guy who's researching healing cases. This happened to me. I'm like, okay, what happened? And she says, well, Grays came in and flipped me around like a rag doll, pressed this thing against my back and walked out through the wall. And uh, she had had chronic back pain from an earlier back injury. So I interviewed her, got the whole story. And I asked her, and what I always ask witnesses, was this your only experience? Because rarely is it a one-off, especially if you've had this kind of experience. People will usually say, oh, yeah, they used to come when I was a little child, three, four, five, all the way up to seven or nine even. And she said, no, I have nothing like that. I'm like, no sightings? She said, no. Well, one distant sighting, but she was in a crowd of people. It wasn't personal at all. She wasn't fitting the pattern. I'm like, huh, that's weird. And I kept asking her questions about you know, everything about her life. And I said, what do you do for a living? She says, well, I'm a retired artist, but I do social work in my country. I do animal rights and human rights activism. And that rang a bell for me because I just interviewed uh, Michael Carter, a gentleman who is a social worker who had had a healing. I thought, wait, there's John Hunter Gray, who was also a social worker who reported a healing. I started going down my list. I'm like, hmm, there's a lot of people who are doctors. You know, Jacques Vallée had a case of a medical doctor in France who was healed of an ax wound on his foot and partial paralysis. I'm like, gosh, I've got a number of doctors, nurses, teachers, a couple of inventors, a lot of social workers, environmentalists. 
and uh, another couple I interviewed, they were healers uh, and social workers, and he had a healing. So I think there is a loose pattern there. People who are doing good work for humanity in some capacity might have a higher incidence of this, but mostly it's people who have a long history of contact. As I said, it follows generations. With your question about race, I had a book years ago, uh, UFO Cases in Africa, because I, I was thinking the same thing, never hear of anything other than the school, that famous case at the school in South Africa. But I had a book, UFOs of Africa, and I would bet, even though it's not as well documented, that uh, South America and Brazil have as many cases as the United States, maybe even more. There are a ton of cases down in South America. Oh, yeah, huge. Brazil, Chile, Argentina. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that? Why do you think that, Preston? They're everywhere. You know, when I was documenting the healing cases, United States led the, the number, but uh, I think Russia was right after it, then Canada, then England. And these are the countries that I think are the biggest countries. Uh, you, the U.S. has really had a, the forefront of UFO research to a large extent just because we're so interested in it. We had the Betty and Barney Hill case that broke this wide open, uh, but we know it's everywhere. I mean, you name a country, I bet you dollars to donuts, you can pull out a long history of sightings. I'll name whole... one, I'll name <laughs> one, I'll name one. I was. This is like a gotcha question. <laughs> Joe Jordan, you know who Joe Jordan is, right? Uh, he was the MUFON uh, director for South Korea. He just moved back to Florida. Uh, he wrote Unholy Communion. Uh, he told me that in South Korea, they've never heard of a gray. And he's asked about uh, abdu alien abductions. And they looked at, what are you talking about? You, it's like almost, not, I won't say it's non-existent. But he attributes it to that, uh, like students, they, they schoolwork and after work, they spend 12 hours a day on schoolwork, at least six days a week. And they're very uh, results oriented to get ahead. And he thinks that they don't have time for this. But South Korea would be an interesting take a look at. I, I don't know that they don't have any cases. But but Joe Jordan said it's almost the abduction thing in the grays is like non-existent there. Oh, wow. Challenge accepted. I yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> take a look at it. I did, I've never looked at it. I'm just going by what he said, you know. Yeah, you know, I can't say I have a case from South Korea. Yeah. <laughs> And I can tell you, I am contacted by people from, you know, all over the world. Yeah. Any of your cases near water? Because about a third or so or more of cases are around bodies of water. And, you know, you got to, and I've got a follow-up question to that. But any of yours, would you say, were around water that make you think they're USOs? Oh, sure. I mean, the populations of our planet are clustered around water. I think for a reason, we have a lot of people living along the coast. If you look yeah. at maps, that's you'll true. see that. So I think yeah, that you know, that's a good point because I think, what did I read? 70% or somewhere around there of, of all people around the world are, are around water, whether it's coastal areas or lakes and rivers, because it's always been the way to transport and fish and everything else, you know? So maybe that's a, a bad question, but let me ask you this, and I'm, I'm probably jumping uh, way ahead. Lou Elizondo, are you familiar with him? Yeah. Well, I yeah, haven't, you know, I've never yeah. met him, but I know. Yeah, I, I've never met him either. 
but he made an interesting statement two months ago in September. I don't know if you read it, but uh, it was in like the New York Times or Washington Post, one of those. His comment was he wants to blow up the UFO field. And then in the article, he said he wants to kill the UFO field. And, <laughs> yeah. and he doesn't want UFO organizations and individuals like you and me now, since I'm retired from MUFON, uh, you know, investigating this. He thinks it should all come from a government agency. And the Navy said the same thing at those congressional hearings. They actually think people should be prosecuted who post stuff on Facebook and kind of exaggerate, you know, what, what happened. What are your thoughts on his statement like that, that, the government should control the narrative. Well, I don't agree, obviously. I don't trust yeah. our governments one iota with this. I agree with you. Yeah. They're demonstrable liars. The congressional yeah. hearing was a joke. Yeah. They were asked flat out, you know, daily in Moultrie, have you ever shot, have we ever shot at a UFO? And they both go, no, no. Yeah. Well, that's demonstrably untrue. Yeah. We know that. They were asked about Malmstrom. What, Malmstrom? No. What? what? <laughs> We've never yeah. heard of it. The Preston, how do you know it's not true? Like, do they have proof that they shot at a UFO? Yes, yes. Where, where's the proof that? Because I, I like to, I've yeah. never known that they actually shot at one. Besides, I don't know if that, when they went, the UFOs over Washington, D.C., back in the 50s, was it the 50s? Yeah, but they, they didn't shoot, yeah, not in those, because when we launched out of Delaware, uh, the UFOs turned around and left. But Frank Fraschino did a book uh, in about 52, and uh, he believes, uh, you know, we lost 82 planes over Korea in the war. We lost 63 planes in training missions over the Atlantic, and he believes those were encounters with UFOs. And the president in 52 was at Truman. He issued an order to shoot them down. He said, can you imagine being the pilot with that July of 52? You go up, they leave. You go back. They come back, you go up, they leave. And Truman says, if you can't talk them down, shoot them down. Now, if I was a pilot, I would say, well, like, what if they don't speak English? What if well, they, they ever talk to them? I mean, does it? Yeah, I mean, nobody, nobody's communicated with them. But so no one's a... ever communicated, but they, they shot them. They shot at them, but they have never communicated. Well, they didn't shoot them. 52, but that's a standing order right now. Shoot them down. Not that even to talk title. to them. That was the title of Fraschino's book, Shoot Him Down. Yeah, I, that's, I would point to his research, but the Battle of L.A. is a demonstrable Yeah, yeah there you go. The first case, in my opinion. Yeah. That was the shot, first UFO case. We shot 1,400 rounds of ammunition. Yep. There's a photograph with searchlights trained on this object yep. with the munitions exploding. Uh, and there's documentation that's released through the Freedom of Information Act stating flat out we shot over 1400 rounds of ammunition at them and that's just one case uh, so battle so, of la or roswell what to you what's the start of the ufo genre which one of those two cases were more important <laughs> uh well i have my I, opinion because you know i'm opinionated granddaddy of all cases that's the but most should it be but should it be um I think all these cases are important. I mean, there's ones that predate Roswell. Yeah. Uh, the uh, Cape Girardeau in Missouri case yeah. is significant. I mean, you can go all the way back to that one in Aurora, Texas, if you want. Right. Yeah. So, well, here's, talking here's the thing. Wait a minute. Don't, I don't want to get off this yet. Here's the thing with the Battle of LA. I think it's really important for about five points. You know, 
One was it's the first time we fired on a UFO. It's the first time we used the weather balloon excuse. It's the first time we denied the UFOs. There was the General Marshall uh, memo that something went down off the coast, I think, of Santa Barbara, and we recovered it, and it's not of this earth. And number five is we started the IPU, the Interplanetary Phenomenon Unit. To me, the start of, the, of this genre was the Battle of L.A. It wasn't Roswell. Didn't get the publicity, but I, man, there's so much with the Battle of L.A. Yeah, I agree. This is when they really started, I think, going the wrong direction with this, covering it up. Uh, it Roswell, up. Yeah. You know, Roswell very nearly went public. They, they released that memo. Yeah, yeah. It. If that had gone the other way, yeah. this would be a different world. Uh, Did you but, ever go to the reenactment of the Battle of L.A. February 24th every year in Los Angeles? I, I read this a reenactment. I actually wanted to go to it a couple of times, but I couldn't work it out. Uh, hopefully, I hope they still do it now, but it was well, only a few years ago. Did you ever go to the reenactment? No, I didn't even know about it. Yeah, I'm they put the spotlights out, the nine spotlights, and they go through the whole reenactment. I think that'd be so cool. What's the weather in February in, in L.A.? 60? Um, it's yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah, I mean, it, can get, it can get cold at night. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if I stayed, I was on MUFON's board three years, and one of my suggestions was going to be let's do our board meeting February 24th and attend that and have them announce the MUFON boards here. I thought that would have been so cool, but I, I didn't really, you know, I didn't stay on their board. I was there three years, but I thought that would have been cool. Wow. Yeah, I talked to a first hand witness, by the way, he was quite elderly and was like, oh. Because there's talk that these were, you know, they initially said Japanese aircraft and yeah. weather balloons, yeah, and blah blah. And he's like, no, no, one of these things because there was multiple craft. One of them, he said, came swooping over his house, a couple hundred feet up. Are you familiar with the Fire Officer's Guide to Disaster Control? Yes, it's the FEMA-approved Fire Officer's book. There's a chapter on UFOs. Do you know that the co-writer of the book was a witness to the Battle of L.A. And it says in the book, he included this in the FEMA fire officer's guide because he was nine or 10 years old at the time and he saw the Battle of L.A. And he went on to be like a like a Navy JAG and uh, wow. an attorney and other stuff and assistant fire marshal of uh, L.A. Yeah, L.A. And the other guy was the fire chief of, uh, of Cincinnati and they they wrote the book. But they, that's all based on uh, the Battle of L.A. I think the Battle of L.A. There's so much to it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I read. I think Terrence Sword wrote the first book on it. But there's a couple yeah. on that incident, which deserves a lot more attention than it gets for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah Jen. I didn't want to cut you off. But no, but I just there was, the there was a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Going back to Roswell. I um, mean, what are your what are your um, thoughts on Roswell? That there was. Um, aliens aboard that vessel that crashed. Do you think there was any alive ones, or do you think that was just a fabrication of somebody's imagination? Um, you know I am. You know, there's there's a handful of people who specialize solely on Roswell. I'm not one of them. I'm certainly. Okay. And you know, there was over 50 bucks on that mm -hmm. case. <laughs> no kidding. I, I was thought, just wanting to know your views on it. What did you think it was? Uh, or do you think it was a real, um, you know how the autopsy, alien autopsy from Roswell, that that was all fake? 
Um, but do you think there was some living um, aliens aboard that vessel, or do you think that was just something made up, or no. they just no, I, there were you, at least bodies. Yeah, there was I, bodies on it. You do believe that? Hundred percent. Yeah, okay. the main core witnesses all report this, and some kept it secret. Walter Hout never talked about it, and then later he said, "Oh yeah, I did see bodies," and Glenn Dennis, mm -hmm. and you know the whole. All these witnesses, there's so many witnesses. People don't realize how many there are. What I like yeah. about Roswell is it's been tracked from the people who saw it on radar, mm -hmm. people who saw this thing visually with their own eyes come down, the rant, you know, Mac Brazel and his whole crowd and people who guarded the wreckage, people who shipped the wreckage, people who, you know. What do you, what, would you, what do you think that they did with it? Do you think they still have the bodies like in storage somewhere? Yeah. You do? I, I do. Again, I'm not a Roswell researcher, but if mm -hmm. you track this case, it's hard to explain as any anything else than certainly not what the Air Force put out, a mogul mm -hmm. balloon with dummies, which weren't yeah. even used at that time. Uh, yeah, it was It's just a very interesting topic. I've, I've, I've written my one series was based on the Roswell crash and you know that's something I find so fascinating and I would love to think that they are still there and I wish we could actually see them sometime but I know that will never happen and just something I really find fascinating okay getting moving on to one other thing I wanted to ask you before John has well, I wanted to ask him something <laughs> about Roswell I don't want to change Roswell but you want go to ahead ask go ahead okay. well the last point on Roswell though is do you think it's possible that that was, you know, Project Paperclip, the technology we got from the Nazis with the Hanabu and all mm. of that, and that was just us testing a craft? Because, you know, it's at White Sands where you had the, the, the atomic bomb and, you know, it's military area and stuff. And, you know, we, we would have had two years from 45 to 47 to try to launch one of these you know, with red mercury and everything else. I think that there's a chance that that was a test flight of ours. And the the real case was in the Black Forest in 1939. The Nazis, that crashed. They got the ship. They didn't know what to do with it. And they just, you know, they tried. Maybe that's how they developed jet fighters and everything else. They were in V2 rockets. But we got that paperwork and technology and we launched something that crashed. Yeah, I don't know. I can't. I don't think that there's a whole lot of evidence to support that theory. It's guessing, you know. Uh, but I suspect just based on the government response that it wasn't ours. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, you can dig deep into the Roswell. You could spend yeah. your entire career on just Roswell. And people have. You can read 50 books on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it's still the most famous case. I don't yeah. think it's going to go away. There's still information coming out. People, you know saying, oh, you know, I knew someone who was there and so forth. You ever speak at the Roswell Museum in 4th of July week? You ever been a speaker there? No, I did go there on the 50th anniversary, I think it was. Uh, and it was a big, huge festival. It was actually pretty interesting. I've never yeah. spoken there. Me neither. Um, but yeah, I went to the museum, which was yeah, cool museum. Cool. Yeah, yeah not bad. Um, Brett, what, Preston, what was the, we talked about this, I think it was last week or a couple of weeks back. There was a um, UFO researcher that's home was raided by the FBI. 
Oh, she, just recently? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember? Did you? What do you think about that? Why do you think they were doing that raid on his home? What do you think they that he has that they wanted? Um, well, I looked into it briefly to see if this was just more misinformation, disinformation, which is so rampant in this uh -huh. field. But no, he's a legit researcher, uh, as near as I could tell. And uh, I'm not sure what they were after or what he found out. But it's kind of crazy why they did that. I mean, he must have something that they wanted. But the fact he, you know, he's got an Area 51 site and he's looking at Area 51, which is top secret. And uh, maybe he just violated some protocols there. And that was the reason. I really didn't read anything on it. But why I would they raid it. the house, though, for that? They could have just who knows? came knocking on the door. Know, why did they raid Mar-a-Lago? They could have knocked on the door. Go ahead. <laughs> no. no. Only you, John. You're lucky I like you. <laughs> I, Preston, my question way. to you is, and, and I ask all our UFO guests that come on, why do you think the government is hiding all this? Um, I can only speculate what's going on in the minds of these guys who are behind the cover-up, which I think is, you know, the top brass in our military, Air Force, Navy, uh, certainly the intelligence agencies, the military-industrial complex. I think there's a lot of reasons. One is this is a policy they adopted early on and have just kept up with it, sort of painted themselves into a corner. This is how they've handled it from the beginning. Second, I think it comes down to money and power and control. Uh, I think... Our governments have never been very forthcoming or truthful on a wide variety of subjects. Um, mm -hmm. So when it comes to the UFO field, uh, the cover-up is not speculation. This is easily demonstrable through documents released from the Freedom of Information Act from mm -hmm. the, you name it, the intelligence agency. They're neck deep in this and taking it very seriously. Uh, I think, yeah, ultimately it comes down to money and power and control. If we have this technology, uh, well, the oil industry certainly wouldn't want it released. If we have no. healing, the pharmaceutical industry will not want it released. Insurance companies, the banking industry. Um, I think there's a lot of people behind this cover-up, a lot of reasons for it. Uh, yeah. um, and you wrote, you, you wrote a couple of books on um, UFO healing, okay? Um, what, what can you like going back to the pharmaceutical? Okay, so what why do you why have you written those two books? On do you have what do you think the your views are? Are do you think that the alien people or they have healing powers? Do you or do you think that their technology does? I mean, because I wrote like my book was about an alien who could heal. So, what do you what do you think about that? What can you tell me since you wrote two books about it? Or did you write more than that? Let me see. I'm looking well, at your list. Yeah, I wrote one called UFO Healings, then re-released it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or of UFOs, uh, because this was a subject that wasn't getting any attention. Um, you know, the media is very fear-based and loves a lurid, scary account. And I'm like, wow, you know, because one of my first cases involved a lady who was healed of a cyst, mm -hmm. medically verified. And I thought, hmm, there's that case from Dr. Jacques Vallée, or rather about a medical doctor in France. And mm -hmm. I know of a case from Ralph and Judy Bloom about a Peruvian customs official who's cured of rheumatism and nearsightedness. And now, course, do they claim that the, the alien did it or something from watching the sighting of the UFO 
What, what, what did they the were struck by a beam of light from they a They were UFO. struck by a beam of light. Okay. Um, there are cases where people have, you know, been taken on board and feel like they were psychically healed through mental powers from the ET itself. But most of the cases, I would say, involve what are handheld instruments using light or pills turn up in some cases, solve oh, wow. emotions. I mean, there's a whole list of how they heal, but it does often seem to involve light. Uh, but there are a lot of cases. I don't think yeah. people realize how many there are. Do you think that the pharmaceutical companies have hold of this now, this technology, and that's how they get their, you know, their medication that they have now? Or do you think that's just the, something that we haven't explored yet? Um, I don't have direct evidence of that. I will say there are a very few whistleblowers who come out who are allegedly involved in crash retrieval incidents who say that, yes, healing technology has been pulled from downed craft, uh, which has the ability to stitch up wounds, or one was to locate tumors. Mm. Um, Do you not think it, we have, there's nothing right now that we know of? This is something that you're keeping hidden from us? It's entirely possible. I and mean, if you believe the testimony of Colonel Philip Corso, he said something along the lines that, you know, lots of technology, integrated circuit, Kevlar, uh, fiber optics, lasers, uh, night vision goggles. No, that's amazing. From Roswell. Bill, Bill Burns is going to be speaking at our Pitt and Philly conference next year, talking about the day after Roswell because he co-wrote it with uh, Corso. Yeah, and people have tried to debunk Corso unsuccessfully, I think. And he's certainly not the only one who's saying this sort of thing. Uh, so I suspect there's some truth to it. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't say for sure whether our medical technology is necessarily taken directly. Mm, nice. but a lot of it probably. I mean, that's what the reports are leaning towards. Do you, do you think we've already been to the stars? Is there a secret space program from the 80s? We know Trump didn't create it in 2017, but is there a secret space force, like Gary McKinnon said, and it's been around since the 80s? Maybe it's the Phoenix Lights and Hudson Valley, those were really ours. Do you think we've already been to the stars, or at least the solar system, the planets? Um, I don't have any direct evidence or firsthand reporting of that. I do think we've probably reverse engineered some of this stuff. I did talk to a guy who wanted to do his part for disclosure, and he was on his deathbed in the hospital and co contacted me. He was, oh. no long story short, a subcontractor for the military and worked at Edwards Air Force Base. When he said that, I'm like, ooh, alarm bells. Because <laughs> if you know Edwards, you know that they're neck deep with UFOs. Mm -hmm. But he said he saw something in a hangar that looked like a UFO, and his employer would not say a word about it until he finally convinced him to talk uh, when this employer needed another job from him. Wow. And basically, this, his employer said that that was not a UFO. That was reverse engineered using technology gained from downed craft, using the concept of counter-rotating magnets to create a magnetic field that would propel the craft in the direction desired. But, you know, there's Project Serpo, that book. You know, there's a lot of rumors about gosh, what do they call 20 and back or super secret soldiers on Mars, which I don't find credible. Mars is a, has no magnetic field. You couldn't live on Mars if you wanted to. The um, best stories are when they're from Venus, <laughs> well, which is impossible. Preston, exactly. Preston, <laughs> what is your view on uh, 
what's his name? Thor. Um, Thor. Oh, Valiant Thor. Valiant Thor. Valiant Thor. We've talked yeah. about that a number of times. So what is your opinion of him? <laughs> Good old Valiant Thor. Um, I will say I met Frank Stranges, uh, who was kind of the originator of that story. Uh, oh, you did meet him. I did. He wrote the strange. strange. So tell us, what did you think about him? And what are your views on him? He was a nice guy. I mean, he seemed very sincere and kind. You know, I came into this field as a pretty young man, and a lot of, it was, there's politics in every field. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wasn't like super welcomed with open arms mm. into this field by a lot of the people who were already in it. But he was very kind to me. Uh, but having read his story and the whole story of Valiant Thor, it doesn't fit the pattern that I see yeah, in <laughs> contract T cases. Uh, so you so think it was fiction too? Because when when you talk about uh, alien underground um, civilization in Venus, it's just kind of not credible. <laughs> like it's, it sounds like something out of a movie, like a '60s movie, '50s movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's entirely possible he had contact. But the Valiant Thor story has raises too many questions for me to take it completely seriously. What about Ashtar Command? Isn't that on the same um, frequency as this guy? <laughs> you know. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what to think of that either. Me neither. <laughs> I, 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 me neither. <laughs> I don't I mean, know. I, it I just do. seems like aliens in blue suits, or one in a dark suit that looks like a man in black. I, you know, kind of. It just seems like it's too far fetched for me. Well, you know, but, muddying of the waters. There's a lot of disinformation. But the fact is, this is a real phenomenon. The evidence is there for those who are willing to look for it. It's not just grays. There are human looking. Yeah, that's what I, I believe that there's some that looks just like you and me. Like, you 100%. would never know that they weren't. You know, those, those stories are why Lou Elizondo says that the public and stuff shouldn't be making this stuff up and putting it on social media because mm -hmm. there is a lot of exaggeration. So on one hand, you know, he wants to, but you can't trust the government, but that's one of the reasons. But you know, the coolest thing about, about Val Thor, because I always look for something that stands out in a story, was he had no fingerprints. And yeah, I thought that was neat. Humans were given fingerprints so we can track them for abductions and stuff, you know, to make contact so we knew who they were that uh, he, they gave humans fingerprints and, and <laughs> Val Thor didn't have any fingerprints. You know, you, you look for, I look, I like creativity and that was the point that, that got me with that story. Holly has another question for you, Preston. She goes, what's Preston's opinion on the men in black? Um, I think there's validity to these stories. They're often conflated with government agents. Uh, and then there's the so-called men in black, which apparently aren't government agents. Mm. So we're think we might be talking about two things here. Yeah, some think they're aliens and some the men in black are government. Well, like and there's a, third, there's a third thing where they're very paranormal. So there's really three different types that show up. Yeah, I don't have many cases, really none of the classic men in black. Uh, so I, it's hard for me to speak to them, but- You know what we gotta do? We gotta, the next time we get a case, and you go out with another investigator, just dress up in black and with a fedora and a black jacket. We'll start the whole thing over again. So, Preston, how long do you have with us tonight? How long do you are you plan on being on um, the show tonight? Like, 
Oh, are you you're staying on. Are you staying on for the full two hours, or because there's hours, some there's hours. two hours. We we have so much. I'm looking like what is the schoolyard encounter? What what is that about? Is that like the the, the aliens are going to school grounds to search out little children? <laughs> um, yeah, it's not nefarious by any means. I, I became interested in that. Uh, started after I heard about the Rua Zimbabwe case. Uh, which is very well known. Well, why don't you tell our viewers who haven't heard of that case? What what is that? What does that consist of? Yeah, that occurred in, at Ariel Elementary School and involved a UFO that landed next to the playground and was viewed by. And there was two hundred kids on the playground. I think uh, Randall Nicker, Nickerson Nickerson yeah um, has collected you know some sixty firsthand eyewitness accounts. Uh, and sightings before and after that incident. So it wasn't mm -hmm. completely isolated, but it's a great case with this UFO that landed next to the schoolyard and ETs came out and communicated telepathically with the kids. Oh, wow. about the misuse of technology and the pollution of our planet and the destruction of our forests and ecosystem. That was the message they got. And I thought, huh, isn't that interesting? Because there's the Westall High School case in 66, uh, April of uh, 1966 in Melbourne, Australia, where a UFO landed and some three to 400 kids and teachers saw this. I'm like, wow, because that I instantly thought of Broadhaven in mm -hmm. Wales, where UFO landed. No, did they, it was all, the, they never saw anybody. It was just a UFO like speaking to them telepathically or was there some kind of creature or humanoid or some kind of being that was talking to them? In the Rua Zimbabwe case, yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, now let me let me stop you right now. Now, if you were a, like a Catholic, um, you would think, well, wait a minute, didn't the they you know the Christians well Catholics believe in the the Virgin Mary, uh, the, the mother of Jesus spoke to telepathically to children all around the world. I mean, that we have Fatima, we have Magigoria, we have uh, Mexico, we have other places that these these children think that they're being communicated. Is it possible that maybe there's some kind of connection between the two? I don't draw a parallel there, really. No, um, because there's these. She's a she's a. They saw a woman. I don't know what these children saw, and they didn't actually talk. It was all basically telepathically. It's just kind of strange how if you yeah, what correlate they saw, it to what they saw in Zimbabwe were not very human. You know, there were sketches made, and so they made they, sketches of creatures. Then it yeah. wasn't like a human, like a and, humanoid. It was more that what I remember was more like the grays with the big eyes, but the sketches were made separately so the kids couldn't compare. And but don't you, you know, think they, the kids have been so? If I saw that, I would have been horrified and terror. I would have took off running. I wouldn't sit there and listen to them. Would you? Know, you know, the kids, they who are have no, you know, programming. <laughs> they, they don't put forth cultural interpretations of well, how old were these children? Were they like third and fourth grade, or were they small like preschool children? They weren't preschoolers. This was primary school, elementary. An eight or nine year old seeing something that didn't look human, wouldn't you be scared of it? Not in today's world. 
No, I I gear I would if I saw one, especially if they they're not clothed, they're like creatures. So they're, they're like nude, gray people. Well, I would have been terrible. I would have been terrified. I would have ran. Were not. They did not feel fear. Kids are. Do you think that they did something to them so they wouldn't feel fear? Like they did something, like they you know put them into some kind of a trance or something like they that. They could have used telepathy to make them think. You know that what they kids saw and what was actually standing there could have been two different things. And they could have used telepathy to tell the kids, I, "I'm here to help you. Don't be afraid." And then the kids wouldn't. You know, they couldn't think through something like that. You know, uh, what's just, really interesting about these schoolyard cases is they are so young. You know, I collected a hundred of them. That's so scary. Um, you know the no, it's not. It's actually really cool. This is a. Are, are they abducting like, these kids, Preston, or just showing up? Yeah, they're just showing up. Just showing up for the most part, and they're just they're telling them they're telling them about peace and stuff like that. Um, in some cases, I collected oh. of the hundred cases I found, one third involved landings or humanoids. Wow, um, they're only a very small portion reported contact afterwards of being taken on board and this sort of thing. But these are very friendly encounters, um, these are low level daylight sightings, long lasting. Mm. very widely viewed. There's almost nothing out there like this. I did write a book on movie, driving movie theater encounters, which is something. Really? Yes. That's a thing too, which slid that's right the radar. Just they would about come to movie theaters? And 100%. What, I'm telling you. But the during the movie? I mean, are they stopping the movie? At the intermission. <laughs> are, they, are they part of the movie? This is a, a very interesting topic. Uh, yeah, it is. Because uh, I started hearing about this when I wrote UFOs over Colorado. I ran into three cases in a row, then coming down over a movie theater right next to the screen, flashing their lights at the audience who would flash back and, and sometimes clearing the theater when people are a little bit panicky, but usually not, uh, and would stay there for a while and put on a little show, sometimes releasing That's smaller crowds or darting around or flashing their lights, showing off. This is what UFO researchers call a display, UFO it's, display behavior, where they deliberately are wanting to be seen. They want to be seen all right. In your book, did you come across a case in 73 at a drive-in theater by Bucks County? Jerry Jonas, who became a reporter afterwards, was the guy who documented the whole thing. I don't know. It wasn't a famous case, but it was in that 73 UFO wave up from Pasadena and across Pennsylvania. Yeah, I have to look it up. Yeah. yeah okay. We're going to have to take a real quick break and mention our favorite sponsor, Carnation. Thank you so much for sponsoring the second hour of Chasing Prophecy Radio. Make sure you get out there, get some Carnation instant message. Uh, what is it, breakfast essentials or milk to make the pumpkin pie with the carnation evaporated milk. Thanks again, Carnation, for sponsoring this second hour of Jason Prophecy. If you have any questions for Preston, please put them in the chat. Okay, thanks. Sorry for the interruption, but we have to do our sponsor. We love Carnation. Yeah. This is just an amazing topic. And when I was also looking at your books, you've also done one on, um, which I find really cool too, the, um, on, the, the onboard encounters. Now, these are people who actually were taken and put on some kind of a ship. And you, there's tons and tons of research 
on this subject? And what do, what do you think is one of your fascinating um, encounters on the board? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, there's so many to choose from. Um, I, I think this is a lot more common than people realize. Uh, one of the more interesting cases, I think, was uh, this gentleman from England who I call Gary. He does not want his real name used. Uh, he understandable. Yeah, he he's been taken on board many times, and he describes some of the procedures that are. I don't hear a whole lot. One was being immersed in liquid, a breathable liquid, hmm. uh, which is reported not a whole lot, but fairly consistently. <laughs> Oh my God, that's, that's something out of a horror movie. You see that in movies. A lot of the cases, like the um, fictional ones on television, always say that it's they're horrified. And then I read some other research, um, actually, uh, articles saying that they weren't horrifying experiences. They were, they were calm. They did something to them to relax them. Now, what are your views on that? Uh, this is not bad news. This is a good experience overall. It can initially start out traumatizing for contactees when they're pulled on board and being physically examined. That's the scariest part I hear. I have zero accounts, really, of what I would call sadistic behavior or torture or mm -hmm. deliberately wanting to hurt or scare people. It's just not there. And what happens follows a fairly set pattern. Person is physically examined. Mm -hmm. At this point, they're you know they're often told, "Don't be afraid. No harm will come to you." That is the number one message, and people do have a lot of fear at this point. And those who do are often unable to move, rendered unable to move, and have missing time. But those who don't, and this can happen after your third or fourth onboard encounter, mm -hmm. they start to come around. But some initially are like just fine, and what usually will happen is you will get a tour of the craft and i know how this must sound to a skeptic but i'm telling you this mm -hmm. is what happens when people are taken on board they're taken down to the engine room and the et said this is how we power our craft it's usually along the lines of electromagnetism or magnetics or harnessing the gravitational field lines of our planet they're taken up to what i would call the observation deck and the walls may become transparent or a portion and they will point down to Earth, say, there's your planet, or there's the moon. A number of people have been taken to the moon, or Saturn. I've got several cases of So that. how are they taking them through, like, um, is it, like, telepathically, or are they actually taking them? Is physical. it their physical, they're transporting them? Yeah, they're not in their rooms, and people are looking for them. <laughs> their families are calling the police. They're so are they... Are they going on the ship when they go to the moon, or are they just floating through air? You know? Nope, they're on a ship. Mm -hmm. They're taken to the control room. This is not uncommon. Okay. They will set you down in the pilot seat and actually teach you how to fly this. Grant Cameron just put out a book. I'm citing a dozen cases. I have a book that I published this year called Symmetry, a True UFO Adventure, which is about a nurse and former Mm -hmm. uh, Department of Defense employee who had that experience. She's a fully conscious contactee. This is a benevolent experience. Mm. It's misrepresented in the media. Um, it's not true that this yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, 
answering Anna Young's uh, comment. Yes, I do watch a lot of alien movies. I am a fiction writer. I do do that. But I am, what would you call, someone who's asking the questions of someone who doesn't do that. That's why I'm doing that. So just want to let you know, Anna. So I'm not... Um, what do you want to call it? Illiterate when in the UFO, I was a MUFON and field investigator at one point. Um, yeah, I just finally, so I'm trying to figure out to me, like Travis Walton case. Now in his book, he says it was totally unlike the movie it, that if you watched the movie, it was horrifying, but he said it wasn't like that. Am I correct, John? Isn't that yeah, what but, he said? But his, his opinion changed over time. You know, the first uh, 30 years, 35 years, this was uh, a traumatic case for him that actually caused him a lot of other issues. So he, he changed his appearance yes, over time. Do you was, find that true, Preston? He later thought yes. it was an ambulance call and not uh, a horrible abduction. But for about 35 years, he did think it was. Yeah, that's what I was, I, I was at the, that big UFO conference for a week in Nevada. I can't think of the name of it. You know, the one it's South of Vegas. And I was a speaker there with Travis in 2012. We sat and discussed it. And I said to him, do you think when you reached up to it, you got a static discharge that knocked you over? And he goes, John, I'm thinking that they revived me. I, I used to think they hurt me, but I don't think that's what it is. So he changed his opinion yeah, he changed on that. his opinion on it, you know? This is the pattern I see. Like I said, it can start out traumatic, and I get that. But people, once they start really looking objectively at what's happened to them, they were healed. They were given in information warnings about nuclear proliferation or warlike ways or destruction of the environment i just um, love these comments anna yeah i was saying speculating if i was a young three or four year old yeah i'd be scared okay but not, i know i would i mean come on a child that was i believe if a child saw something like that because i had an experience with my own child he was horrified when he saw something like that you so, can you did my son did my oh, little okay. yeah when he was he was seven years old six six oh. years old he he was little six years old we just moved to a a, a home in the like there was not too many it was like farmland there wasn't other houses around and he was in bed at one time he saw a light come through his window he said it was not like your normal light something was trying to take him and he was terrorized for years and years and years um, so from my own experiences with my own child, I know little kids, if they saw something that they didn't know that was safe, like, you know, they would be scared mm -hmm. unless they're using some kind of mind control to make these children not scared. And I can see that happening. I don't Holly agree? has something to say. Holly has something for us. One time I was dreaming that aliens were taking blood from me. And when oh, I, I believe it, it. And when I woke up, there was a puncture wound on the inside of my elbow. Don't know if it was real or just a dream. That that possibly, Preston, what do you think? Do you think that's something that could happen? True. Well, there are medical procedures. It's usually healing-based. Uh, this can be traumatic for people. But having talked to hundreds upon hundreds of people who've been taken on board, uh, the vast majority of them feel that this is ultimately a benevolent experience for them. They yeah. might initially 
feel like, oh, this was a little bit scary. I had nightmares, I had PTSD, I had to sleep with the light on. But doesn't that sound like the shadow people that a lot of people say about something like uh, they always, when I, I know I've seen shadow people all my life, especially when I was going through my adolescent years of a, of a, of a figure that looks sort of like a gray standing above my bed, foot of my bed. I think um, it's a phenomenon. When someone is a contactee, their psychic abilities are enhanced or awakened. Or, you know, ETs seem to be very attracted to people who are having paranormal experiences already. But following an experience, they will yeah. a mediumship huh. or astral projection or it seeing. It seems like a lot of these abductees have a, have a, have a psychic ability, uh, a telepathy. Um, they can feel things that we don't. Well, I know I I believe that I had some kind of a encounter when I was yeah. younger, it's and that's why I have like a psychic, yeah, you know, intuitive. I believe that's they why. They really, really want people to wake up to our own abilities. This is absolutely an agenda. This is one of the things that will happen if you have repeated contact. In fact, in my latest book, not from your volume four, I put a chapter on levitation, contactees who levitate because following mm -hmm. an experience. People will spontaneously levitate. That happened to a client for, of Jacques Vallée. It happened to Whitley Strieber, to Stephen Greer. It happened to at least four or five of the contactees I've interviewed. And I suspect a lot more of them because most don't volunteer this information. Mm -hmm. uh, Let's but, play devil's advocate a little uh, bit. Whitley Strieber's encounters were negative. Uh, Dr. David Jacobs, all his research and books are very, very negative about a hybrid program and that they've already infiltrated high levels of government and, and corporations. You know, Linda Napolitano, uh, there's so many cases out there. Betty Andresian, Carla Turner, a lot of the, I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's weird that West Coast people have positive encounters and East Coast people don't, <laughs> like it's our personality. <laughs> But there are tons of well, there's probably different encounters. different races of alien, right? I mean, right. There, there's there's different, and there's our malevolent ones, and there's nice ones, probably. Well, what do you think about David Jacobs' research? You know, if you've read I his, think it's fear based. I, fear -based. I question his methods. I really do. He's a bit of an outlier. Most researchers don't come up with the conclusions he's come up with. Uh, so I I wonder about that. Yes, I understand that there's fear surrounding this subject. But we also have to understand that there is a deliberate cover-up. There is an alien threat narrative being put forth. There are my labs, military abductions. Yeah. My research points very clearly towards this not being a negative phenomena. And Betty Andreessen's cases were largely positive. Uh, she did not feel this was a neg negative experience at all. I would, I would argue... I would argue that Betty Andresian had a demonic encounter. I've done a lot of research into her case, and I believe that she had a demonic encounter is what she had. Same thing with Carla Turner, what she mm -hmm. describes, what Betty Andresian describes. To me, those were demonic encounters. My encounters my whole life, as I got older and I got more involved with MUFON and got on TV, mine turned more and more negative. You know, to the point that I view them, you know, some of my friends say, well, what you saw had a square head. It was a, probably wearing a helmet. I view my encounters as demonic. They were that negative. Uh, but, you know, I don't know why other people there seem to be positive. But at the time this was going on, 
I did have these other abilities. They've kind of waned now 10 years, eight years later. I knew things before they happened. I knew we were going to get in a car accident with my grandson at right after his baptism. It was so prevalent in my head to, to let's not drive. And, and the, the day my grandson was born, I had a dream telling me he was born. You know, I, I had no I idea my too. daughter was in the hospital, you know. But, so negative to me. Well, <laughs> I'm just well, thought they were angelic. You know, her main contact, Quasga, and I'll direct quote him, said, love is the answer for humankind. Uh, who who are you referring to? Quasga, Betty Andreessen's main oh, Betty yeah. I studied yeah. well, demonic well, Betty... phenomena, and it, this is a different phenomena. It's not demonic. Betty was under the impression she made contact with Jesus or angels. Uh, I kind of remember her book turning a little bit that this was not, you know, weren't it, I might be getting cases mixed up. They were growing the eyes like plants for the uh, grays. And you have all of the uh, smell of sulfur and the mm. scratching sounds. And both her and I believe Carla Turner were shown like hieroglyphics, symbols, and told to repeat stuff that she didn't know what she was saying. And, and you know, the interesting thing with Betty Andreessen is when it's all said and done, she's be she became more uh, very much in the paranormal field with her and her daughter started a group called Paranormal Girls. And unfortunately, her daughter passed away uh, a couple of years ago. It seemed to me that for somebody that was a devout Catholic, that she really moved over to the other side. Um, Anna Young says, sorry, but... Well, let her comment on that first. Uh, all right. Yeah, I mean, I've interviewed people who are of all religious persuasions, atheists to fundamentally religious. And those who are fundamentally religious, there's a few who have labeled this as demonic, uh, but they're having the same experiences. I think our own beliefs play a powerful role in how we're perceiving this. If we have a, a lot of fear surrounding this, that plays a role as well. The vast majority of pe people I've talked to believe we're dealing with extraterrestrials. The vast majority do not believe they're evil. The vast majority would not stop these experiences from occurring. They feel they've gotten great benefit out of it. Again, I think there's a lot of fear in just basic human nature, and there's also disinformation going on. So I think we have to be very careful how we interpret this. Uh, and I've studied demonic phenomena. I've read all the books on this I can get my hands on. I did too. First cases of demonic hauntings. It's different. A demonic haunting follows a very set pattern, starting with knockings and scratchings and moving up to infestation and possession. There's a lot of UFO cases that start with the, the knockings and the scratchings and the walking and the sulfur smell and stuff. Uh, I actually did a comparison, and I, Preston, I don't know if anybody else has. I took Kenneth Ring's research comparing near death to alien abduction, and I read all of those books on exorcism and hauntings and demonic stuff, and I found about a two-thirds overlap in the markers that occur uh in you know with the demonic stuff and the alien abduction so I, I you know i don't want to offend you but i i fall into a portion of the abduction to me is is really demonic activity because i believe that that's very very real the angels, fallen gets, angels are real a lot of stuff gets put under the ufo umbrella that perhaps right. doesn't belong there right 
Uh, and I think there's a, a lot of conflating of different phenomena going on here. A near-death experience is not a, an onboard UFO experience. It's just not. When someone's seeing a ghost or a Bigfoot or a demonic spirit, this is different from an encounter with an ET. Yeah, well, that was what Kenneth Ring said. He, you know, he kind of showed the near-death experience as being extremely positive in every instance of what happens, except for the fact you died. But, you know, you meet a relative, you go to this nicer place, you get a choice of coming back. And, you know, a lot of people will say with the abduction, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crime, it's, it's a rape, it continues through generations, there's no choice, it's extremely hard to stop. So, you know, uh, I told, and you probably know the guy with the, the free organization, if you think it's so positive, offer your grandkids up for alien abduction. It's got to be better than public school, <laughs> I would think. But, you know, that's my mindset. But there is a very negative side to the alien abduction. Most people I've talked to don't even like that word. They do not use that well, term. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's experiencing now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's it's a lot of... um, I'm just saying this is yeah. what my research is borne out, and I will say that this is what John Max is. I talked about Hopkins. His research, he said, you know, I'm very encouraged by what I'm finding out. I do not think they're here to hurt us or harm us. I asked him if he had healing cases because he never wrote about them. He said, yes. I do, because uh, that was a big question of mine. So the first thing to you. Barbara Lamb and John Mack and Edith Fiore, who found that half of the clients she interviewed uh, were healed. Most of the people I'm talking to believe this is a positive experience for them. And I think I, I'll give you an observation that I have. And, and like you said, that it depends on your uh, you know frame of mind, state of mind, how you view things. but. To me, a lot of the people who talk like you and that you just named, I would bet a, a large amount of money that they're liberal in their thinking and ways and probably Democrats. <laughs> and a lot of people that see the more negative side, I, I think they're more of on the conservative religious side. And uh, I don't know if their belief system makes them see it that way because they're not given a choice in it. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I, there's a lot well, of people. I, ask, I, asked if, I started asking if a person is a Democrat or a Republican. <laughs> well, I did. I started that looking. That would be an interesting survey. I think it would be very Absolutely. interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> no prejudice on how people are chosen. All people, all races. Well, it's one race. We're all one race. Let's face it. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's just ancestries that's dividing us up. But no. But how no. about with the view being Republicans who've had absolutely positive experiences? Okay, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Okay, uh, Anna Young says I think a lot of people that see ghosts are seeing aliens, and then Holly comes back and says, "Why does Preston think they put implants in us?" I'm glad you asked that. Let's go to with the implants because this. It's been an enormous amount of speculation on this. It's for tracking, it's for mind control, is what a lot of researchers have put forth without any real evidence to back that up. Because uh, we don't know for sure. But I can tell you, I have firsthand cases of contactees who have asked flat out, what is the purpose for this implant? And in each case, it, the ETs said that it was health related in some way. One said it was to monitor health, Another said it was to boost immune system. Another said it was to track the level of pollution 
in a person's body. Uh, there's a case in England, Jason Andrews. He said, it's absolutely for health. You do not remove my implant. I will not allow really? it. You yes. think it's for health reasons, not, I think it's more like for tracking them. No, no, there's people who've had their implants removed. I've interviewed them, Dr. Roger Lear. I was friends with him and he was really one of the guys who spearheaded this, removed the implant out of a lady and they still found her quite easily uh, and re-implanted her. Uh, I don't believe it's for tracking. Uh, they don't need to do that to track So people. you think it's for health reasons? Yeah, I asked Dolly Saffron about this. She's my go-to gal because she's a fully conscious contactee, has no fear surrounding her cases. She's had a lifetime of encounters. I asked her, what, what have you been told about implants? And she said the same darn thing. It's mostly health-related. So do you think they're helping them or not? When you say health reasons, do you think that they're actually helping them with their health or? I do. Yeah, that's why I, this is what. I'd like to get one of those. Towards, <laughs> um, I'm not going to. See, I try real hard not to speculate because it's so easy to go down rabbit holes and just put forth theories. There's a lot of researchers out there who put forth the theory and then find the evidence. A lot mm -hmm. of cherry picking, a lot of shoe fitting. It's not how science works. We have to be objective with what's going on here and let the contactees speak for themselves. But this is what, what they're saying. What do you tell the woman who believes that uh, she was pregnant and the fetus disappeared in the first trimester? And there's plenty of those cases where they believe it was an implant, you know, they, an account, you know, whatever, artificial insemination, and and then they lost their baby. In the, and there's tons of cases like that. I mean, what do you tell them? They don't think it was a good thing. Oh, you'd be surprised. Uh, I talked to a lady from Canada who had contacted a bunch of researchers and they all you know, wanted her story. And I'm, a lot of the people who call me just want counseling. Mm. And she did agree to a formal interview, she and her husband, and they had that experience. They had a baby carried up to seven and a half months, which is really unusual to have a missing pregnancy that late. But they did. Most of the people I've talked to, it's three months, four months. And their baby went missing. Boy, were the doctors interested. They were oh, absolutely awful. That's traumatic. And, I, and she says, you know, I'm actually okay with this. I'm like, really? She says, I just know that my baby is in good hands. I know who is with them. Uh, she would later um, have onboard experiences and get to meet them. Dolly Saffron had this experience. They asked her, would you do this? She agreed. Uh, I know that there are people who have a hard time with this. I'm not going to... Yeah. You know, sugarcoat this. Uh, some people do feel like this was difficult for them, and my heart goes out to them. Uh, but people who have had extensive contact and really learned to communicate with the ETs learn that they gave permission. And this is a hard pill to swallow for people who are still thinking of contact and not understanding that they agreed to this on some level. And, There's uh, a lot of women who say that they have to be brought into it because the ET lacks emotions and they found that this hybrid kid doesn't survive in their environment and the mother has to be brought in to do what, you know, human mothers do as far as holding them and breastfeeding them and everything else for emotional uh, stability. 
Yeah, I mean, I have many cases involving hybrid babies, baby presentations, mothers being taken on board, fathers too. There was a guy I interviewed in upstate New York who had a real hard time with this. They showed him his hybrid baby and said, aren't you proud? And he's like, was angry. He's had a lot of feelings. He well, felt a little what? violated. But uh, he I felt agree. an enormous amount of love for this child. They will bring people on board to meet your child. I've talked to people who've met their full-grown hybrid children. There's a lady up in Maine who had this experience, and she said it was glorious. And her son, really? she absolutely loved it. He said, I'm always watching over you. We protect you. She was healed on a couple of occasions, and he gave her all kinds of information. I am telling you, the negativity surrounding this subject is not warranted. I understand that there are people who are very frightened and having a hard time with this. I totally understand my heart goes out to people who do not feel this is positive for them. I understand that. But I'm telling you that the people who have really worked hard to understand what's going on with them often come to a different conclusion. Um, that this is something they agreed to. It's a positive experience. They've gotten an enormous But they did agree to it. They weren't just like their baby was snatched from their womb. No. There's a lot of people who didn't agree to it. So, I mean, I um, you can't go all or nothing on this because Nick, you know, for every case you say is positive, there's another case that the person says it's not. You know, and just real quickly before you speak, uh, you know, I went to my first MUFON conference in 99. I joined MUFON in 98 at 41. I knew nothing, zero. And I went to the conference in D.C., Northern Virginia. When I got home, I had four nights of weird out-of-body experiences, something in the room, lucid dreams. And I saw two kids. One was a hybrid. They probably both were. But I've always wondered, this hybrid kid, my Doberman was floating in the air with his legs sticking out horizontally and the kid was poking him like you'd never seen a dog before you know mm -hmm. he was probably about 10 years old but this kid when he turned around if that's my hybrid son then god damn the aliens for what they did to him this kid had very large eyes hair plugs he was very muscular for a young kid like that the bones were sticking out of his elbow it was one one of the scariest things I ever saw. And the other kid was like all dressed in black, but he had kind of a, a rat boy face with the buck teeth. And, you know, you, you can look up rat boy and see what they look like. That's what he looked like. And I've always wondered, first of all, why such a negative uh, experience after my first conference? And if that was a hybrid, like I said, that is that's a crime what they did. If that's half my sons. Well, um, Nick, I got to get to Nikki Jacobs here. Excuse all me. Right, go ahead. All I right. wanted to comment. <laughs> okay, Nikki Jacobs. It's, uh, she says it's called a soul contract, and yeah. her last. The, and the last thing she posted was, many people are bigoted about et human hybrid children the anger is real it takes time it is a heck of a learning process and she goes to say i have many et hybrid children when i started becoming alert cautiousness uh, about it i was slim but it took me a long time to process the emotions now i believe completely different i've seen and met my children 
This is from oh, Nikki. Jenkins. So Nikki think Nikki believes that she has hybrid children. See, there's the pattern that I see so often. It's again very difficult, and people do express anger, and we we are trained to fear anything that looks different. We're trained to be prejudiced against different people, and uh, I think it's very important that we recognize that we are all one. This is a message most contactees will get at some point. We are you, you are us, we are one. If you look very carefully at what is actually happening to people who are having first-hand contact and throw away your preconceptions, and I think you'll realize that you know, the people who said, oh, this is horrible for me, they, I didn't like it at all. What happened to you? What made it so negative? It, it Was it your fear of what was going on? It's usually that, a feeling of lack of control, of not understanding what's going on. Uh, we, as humans, hurt, maim, kill, beat up each other, poison each other, lie, cheat, steal. None of that is going on when people are taken on board. It's much easier to prove humans are a demonic species and negative and hostile than it is the ETs. These are very advanced beings not only advanced technologically, spiritually, morally, ethically, psychically. Um, I'm not gonna say they're all our space brothers. I'm not, this is a big wide universe, but those who have the ability to visit our planet are not going to choose any point in this universe to come and torture earthlings. It makes no logical sense and the evidence does not support it. I, I want to ask Nikki. I want to, you say you see your your offsprings on a regular basis. How are you seeing them? Uh, do they come and take you to this place, or on a ship, or do you go to a different dimension? Where are you seeing them at? So, if you have a moment to, to put that into the chat, I'd love to to know and understand. It's a very very interesting topic. You going to answer say. John's question, Preston? Um, which question? I forgot what the question was now. <laughs> we moved on. Oh, sorry about that. Oh, we had on. But let, let, again, let me play devil's advocate. For all of the times that people had encounters and they were told they're here to uh, clean up the environment, give us medical cures, end uh, nuclear war, and make us all equal and equity and all of that stuff. Why hasn't any of that happened? Their perfect opportunity was during COVID two years ago, right? With COVID hitting and millions of people dying and others having a lot of complications, that would have been the perfect opportunity to step up, show themselves and say, we can cure this for you. We're here to help, mm -hmm. but nothing happened. Now, people were never told that they were given warnings. They're given guidance. They're told you are messing around with nuclear weapons that has the potential to and life on your planet. They're warned about the greed and corruption, about our warlike ways. That's what, that's what, um, um, what's his name? Valent Ward said. Yeah, um, ETs know better. Actually, the couple in Arizona who claimed they were invited on board, they were healed, asked that specifically. Why don't you just come down and fix things? They said, we can't. There are karmic laws. It's up to you to solve your own problems. We cannot do that for you. Okay, if that's the but case, then why do they get involved themselves. anyways? Yeah, they shouldn't be showing themselves. If it's like yeah, the, the Federation with Star Trek, not to ever let them see, see, and because you can change a culture and a civilization. We know that 
what was it in the Philippines when they saw our planes during World War II? They built straw wooden planes and started worshiping it because they'd never seen it before. But yet, in a lot of cases, they go out of their way to actually show themselves in the craft. I don't know. That doesn't really add up unless it's the government doing it and it's a cover for our military. No, they intervene to a certain extent. They will show themselves. This is absolutely one of their agendas is to teach, guide, and heal to the extent that they can without violating our free will and our autonomy. Um, as every parent knows, you can't do everything for your child. Do you um, think if you're a hybrid, you're, you're, you're still human? Yes. We're if, all you, if you mix that DNA with an alien, are we still in the image? If you believe in God, are we still in the image of God if you're half alien? Yes, the greys are essentially human. Um, they have the same genetics as we do. This is what the contactees have been told, that they have the same genetics. We're all dialing out slightly differently. But if you look at the reports of humanoids, all of them are humanoid in form, almost without exception. Well, you got you got the ones that are insectoids, right? You got reptilians. Uh, yeah, I mean, you got other types in there. They're not only human looking. Um, they're still humanoid. Look at the if you study genetics, you'll see that the genetics on our planet is incredibly similar. We have long strands of DNA that are identical to the DNA in celery and giraffe. Oh, yeah. I mean, but you know that one half of one percent is really the difference between, uh, you know, uh, you know, mice and humans. I mean, or chimps and humans. It's not a lot of difference because every other part of you has to work a certain way. We have human-looking ETs out there too. Human-looking. Do you grains, do you believe in evolution, creation, or a combination of both? Because I think that question in the person's mindset will dictate a lot of what they believe in this field. What do you think? Creation, evolution, or a combination of both? Uh, I think that. <laughs> Um, it, belief has no effect upon the truth. Um, what is, is. It's clear that evolution does not have all the answers. It's clear that creationism um, does not explain everything that's going on here. I think the fact that there are human-looking ETs out there raises serious questions about human origins, uh, raises serious questions about where we came from and our relationship to the ETs. I'm not, so, I'm not convinced that evolution has all the answers any more than creationism does. We're still at a point where our beliefs are contradictory on this subject because we don't know. This is why we call the paranormal paranormal. It's not because these incidents are breaking the laws of the universe. It's because we don't have a full understanding of it. So I, I ask that because you know I look at that and I, I I actually do read a lot of the creation stuff, and you know obviously we don't have a real answer like you say, but you know, if you believe, to me, I say, if there are these creatures in space, then they had to have evolved because there's no evidence for or against that says God created them. And I think that would be one of the first three questions asked, right? If they showed up, where are you from? How'd you get yeah. here? Do you believe in, were you created? Did you evolve? Uh, but if you want to just cut it down, it's like, in order to have life in space, evolution has to be true. You know, if you strictly stick to the Bible that 
God created everything starting here on earth. And he doesn't say anything about putting life anywhere else. That's why I asked that. Because, yeah. well, you know, you to my book, Symmetry, involving Dolly Saffron, because she asked all these questions and uh, has a lot of answers towards them. You know, ETs will provide answers to people who are willing to sit down and listen and overcome their fear. Uh, so <laughs> there are a lot of answers to these questions out there. Uh, and a lot of it becomes philosophical, I think. It's most what really believe, yeah. you know? It seems like that. Nikki, if you, if you to... ever want to come yeah. on the show and tell your story, we'd love to have you. If you're interested, I'm going to give you my email address for the show, chasingprophecyradio at gmail.com. Chasingprophecyradio at gmail.com. Give us a, um email. And yeah, that would be pretty show. cool. A lot more people are having this experience than people realize. Jalen Hynek was quoted as saying one in 40 people have had an onboard experience. And the Roper poll in 1991 did a survey of this, their survey organization, and they found one in 50. This is a lot more common than people realize. What do you think about the 1980 case in Texas? And it's escaping me now with the three people in the car and the UFO and uh, uh -oh. you got out. I can't think of what the girl's name was. And John Schusler was an expert on it. And yeah. do you think that was a military experiment or a UFO? Because they got radiation poisoning, especially the one lady who got out, Cash, Cash Landrum. What yeah. do you think that case was? Yeah, Betty Cash and Vicky and Colby Landrum. Yeah, the kids stayed in the car, but I think he still got burns on his hands and stuff. Yeah, they were in a car outside Huffman, Texas, driving along and came upon this sort of diamond-shaped object, yeah. spitting flames out the bottom, certainly not your typical UFO, which was surrounded by, by helicopters <laughs> who were escorting it. Um, that Do you shows think it was ours? Do you think it was yeah. ours or a UFO? I think it was ours. Yeah, I, I always think so. I think that was one of those early ones that was probably an experimental nuclear reactor and they were testing it. And these people just happened to be on this deserted road when it flew right over, you know. Hmm. Yeah, I'd like to address Nikki Jacobs statement there uh, regarding all ETs. Yeah, I'm not, not going to say that all ETs will give information. What they will do almost universally is will say, don't be afraid. No harm will come to you. That's almost always the communication. I have had people ask, where are you from? And they will get a tight-lipped answer. It's not important. We're from a place you don't know about yet. You wouldn't understand. Uh, but um, they will communicate with people, generally speaking. Not everyone gets information, uh, but many do. So interesting. Kristen, an angle I looked at, and I put it in a couple of my books, is when I really uh, became a reborn Christian. And, you know, I, I looked at quotes from Jesus and in the Bible, and they talk about a great apostasy where people will pull away, something will happen, and then people just really pull away from organized religion. They follow whatever it is, but it's a trick. And there's quotes from Jesus about you will be tripped, tricked, and deceived. And then I started thinking about the UFO. Would that, if they showed up, like Independence Day all over, but were friendly, and said, you know, all the things you say, we're here, we can fix your diseases, your immune system, clean up your environment, we're here to help. And, you know, and then, of course, somebody's going to ask, where'd you, you know, we, we evolved. And they said, but this is our beliefs. 
I firmly believe 70, 80, 90% of people on earth would drop their religious beliefs and follow the UFO. Do you, how do, or do you think that they'll just stick and say, I'm a, I'm an evangelical Christian and I don't believe that, you know, what do you think in that scenario? There are people of all different beliefs all over this planet, a lot of different religions, people of various, you know, belief systems are going to react in different ways. Uh, I think that this is a phenomenon that's real. I think that the evidence is out there that's fairly conclusive to say that we are not the only biological species living on a planet. Uh, ETs are also out there and they are people like us, more alike us than different. And how people react to perhaps an open official contact, uh, we'll see, um, but we're seeing it right now. And people do with organized religion will sometimes find that this challenges their belief system. And the people I've talked to, generally speaking, not always, start to move away from organized religion because there's really no place for it uh, in terms of extraterrestrial beings. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I'm not going to attack a person's religion. <laughs> this is a, a core well, belief. Philosophical question because I like the big questions of what could happen, what could be. Have you ever read or watched Childhood's End, Arthur C. Clarke? You Love remember? That. He was on the Sci-Fi Channel. He wrote a book. And, it, and the, it was so cool that when you finally got to see them, and they did all these things we were talking about, cured, da, 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 da. when he finally got to see them, they were demonic. They were demons. And it yeah. was too late at that point. You know, and, and, that, and that was written, I don't know when, 1960. It was so... But he, he hit a, a possibility there, you know? I like that book, but it's yeah. science fiction. <laughs> it's yeah, but the possibility is there that this is a trick. Um, I, I mean, we can't rule out any possibility. We have to look at all angles. And this is why I think it's so important to not do any cherry picking and shoe fitting on this. We really have to be objective. And by their fruits, we shall know them contactees who come away from the experience are being healed. I have 30 plus cases of people healed of cancer, documented. Um, many of these are verified by doctors, medical professionals. Uh, this is a positive thing. I don't have any cases of demons healing people. No, they wouldn't hear. They wouldn't hear. Have, you, have you ever discussed this with Daryl Sims? But he has more of my view on this thing. Maybe not the demonic side, but that it's not a positive thing. It, it's it's not. Have you ever talked to Daryl since? Uh, not firsthand. I've okay. been I've been at the conferences with him. I've heard him speak. I've read his book. Uh, he's a former CIA guy. Right. Yeah. Um, so that I mean, I'm not going to yeah versions on that. Other than you know, the CIA hasn't been particularly honest with this subject. Yeah. Uh, I think that we do need to understand that there is mind control going on within our government mind control studies. Uh, I think there are my labs, as Stephen Greer often talks about. I don't agree with everything he says either. Right. Uh, but uh, I think there are some cases where people are being fooled, deceived, and it's our own government doing it. And do, I think do you there think... are spirits, but I don't think they're flying UFOs. The first I heard of the New World Order was when President Bush, the, the junior, too, mentioned it a couple of times, so, you know, a new world order. That's the first time I ever heard it, let's say in the early 90s, whenever he was president there. 
Do you think that this new world order thinking and globalization falls in line with ET influence or contact with governments? That this is the way they do it is what I'm asking. No, I don't see a parallel there. Um, people have a tendency to impose their own cultural values upon ETs and you know the Galactic Federation it would be a good example. I have zero evidence of that. Right. Um, so I don't, it's hard for me to speak to that. I can tell you that you know from a contactee perspective, no, I don't see that. Uh, I think a lot of contactees have told me that they're more afraid of the government because they have had problems. I've talked to people who've had their contact notes stolen or hypnosis. Uh -oh stuff taken have been abducted by the government following their own contact accounts and they are placed under sodium pentothal and questioned extensively about what happened to them they're more scared of the government well there's, there's no doubt there's no doubt that the government when they find out about this either you know this one part with the my labs who say they're in cahoots working with them like at dulce and locations or they're trying to find out as much as they can when they and, and it really if you look at mufon and Robert Bigelow and the funding we received that I didn't know he was, pay, you know, it was the Pentagon paying for my investigations <laughs> in 09 and 10. I didn't know that. And now what they're, what they're doing, the government absolutely wants the technology. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that they're, the only real ET threat is to the cabal and their power stru structure. They're control over the populace, their control over the narrative of what's going on here. But do you think in these other worlds, see, I look at the new world order, that there's really, you have a whole planet, and they may have at one point been like us, different continents and countries, but I, I view the CET thing as they all fall under one leader, maybe with a huge council, one, you know, military, or they don't need a military anymore, you know, one, if they have a religion, you know, I see, I really see the one the new world order, the one government, the one religion, the one military, the one, 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 as being the way the ETs do it. And that's why I asked that question. Do you think they're trying to get us to follow that? Because it seems like the direction we're headed in when they, you keep hearing officials talk about new world order and globalization and, you know, no borders and that type of stuff. Yeah. No, I think that's the greed and power hungry. To um, make more money. <laughs> folks, the ETs do not. I have no evidence of any federalized government among ETs or money or greed or power struggles or anything like that. They have moved far beyond that. Do you think that they have the hive mentality, as a lot have said, or are they as free-willed and individualistic as we are? You know, I never got the impression that ETs step out of line and revolt and riot. And, you know, you know what I'm saying? They seem to all follow this agenda, whatever they're doing. As near as I can tell, they're very telepathic, very cooperative with each other, uh, and are absolutely individuals. I've talked to many people who have had encounters with Greys and said they were extremely emotional. Maybe not the short little AI types, which I think are probably. Um, not alive as we would think of it. Um, again, I would point to my book, Symmetry. She has a lot of information on these various questions, uh, but there's various types of ETs for sure who are autonomous and who do have personalities and do behave differently. There's multiple agendas going on, I think, uh, but 
largely it's focused, I think, on educating humans, on trying to prevent us from destroying our planet. I don't think it's any coincidence that the atomic age and the modern age of UFOs coincide exactly. Right when we got the ability to completely obliterate ourselves is when people started being taken on board and getting these messages. Yeah. Stop polluting your planet. Stop these warlike behaviors. If it was so easy. Well, I want to thank you so much for being a guest tonight. Thank Carson. you, Preston. You were a fabulous guest, and you're welcome back I like back the philosophical yes. beliefs because that's possibilities of what could happen. I like to yeah. talk about that. Hey, I appreciate a spirited discussion. It's awesome. Okay. Definitely. Well, thanks again for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. You have a great thank night, you, Preston. Preston. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye. Yeah, he was a fantastic guest. I'm, I've learned so much. Yeah, I'm was. so glad thank he enlightened me. It's so interesting. So thank you so much for all the comments tonight. And we have some fabulous news. Um, we are going to have we're going to have our guest and um, Nikki is going to be joining us next week. So I'm so glad she agreed. Oh, we're going to have her on the show next week. So it should be a really interesting show. She's going to tell her experience yeah. and what, she, what she'd like to talk about um, regarding this topic, which is so fascinating. I like it. It is okay. fascinating. I learned a lot today. And I like Preston because he was like totally brutally honest and he didn't pull no punches. You know what I mean? He's a historian, so. which I liked because he knew all the cases that I know uh, also. Um, I, I do find, I do believe that this... Uh, your, the way you lean in your life, far right, far left, conservative, liberal. I saw the liberal beliefs in him in the West Coast. It's funny, everybody we have on our show on the West Coast all love to be abducted. <laughs> I never came across that on the East Coast. And nobody ever really said that until the free organization with Ray Hernandez came in place in uh, 2015 or 16. It, it's almost, I can draw a parallel between politics where it's the far left tells you every good is bad, bad is good, everything you used to believe is, it was wrong, and that's the, the message. And now the UFO field has followed the same thing. I can give you hundreds of cases where this is a, a crime and a human rights uh, issue and that's what the people said but now all of a sudden it's like oh this changed me for the good you well there's know, there's, I, I there's the vision now <laughs> well there's some abductees that believe that they're malevolent and then there's some that thinks that right. they're not so it goes back to the ones that don't well, think that they're to, evil it always goes back to like you know how you were in the 60s you know love and peace and you well know. this changed in 2016 with ray hernandez prior to that these were alien abductions then it became uh experiencers and it was 90 experiencers yeah. yeah it was 90 percent negative up until ray said this is good for you and uh i i don't see it i don't, I don't know i don't i was five percent of the cases are good because they got to throw you some evidence that uh, this is a deception. I, there is no way I would offer my grandkids up for an alien abduction. There is absolutely no way. And that's why I said that to Ray. Well, they don't really two, we have two polar beliefs here. It's like they like them. It's like the ones that they're going after, the ones that they, um, you know, had a sexual relationship with or impregnated them, and their babies are half and half. 
you know, hybrids. But they're abnormal. What I saw in my lucid Not all dream, of them. It depends. I, I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Yeah, but that was my case. Uh, but, you know, David Jacobs says they fit into society right now, but they yeah, still have that mentality. You don't know for sure if that one person that you saw was an abducting. Might have just been deformed. I don't. I, I don't know that, but it was kind of interesting. It happened after the first UFO conference I ever attended. And Nikki Jacobs, we got to find out if she's related to Dr. David Jacobs. <laughs> Maybe. But um, we have a few more minutes. You guys all ready for Thanksgiving? What are you guys doing? <laughs> John, you spend Thanksgiving with your family. That's a night that you get burglarized, and uh, I, I almost caught a burglar one time on Thanksgiving. Are so you going to be with your family? Are they going to be with yeah, you? But I'm not okay, where. you don't have, you don't have to say where. <laughs> I didn't cook. ask you where. <laughs> yeah, well, that tells you whether I'm home or not. But I'll tell you, I'm a good cook. <laughs> oh, good. I never. All the single the women year. out there, I'm a good cook. <laughs> This is the first year I'm making the bird myself. I'm already freaking out. I had a horrible experience today. Was it frozen or? or well, no, it, it's uh, my chandelier. My chandelier. My what is that? Your entryway for what is it? Fury? It started rocking back and forth. No, I had. I decided to change the bulbs, and we had to call an electrician. We had to change the. We have a thing that you lower it and raise it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, one of the um, I couldn't get the bulbs out. They were all corroded. And what had to go up by all new bulbs and one of the crystals broke. And now it's not all the way on the, on the, it's not flush with the ceiling now. So I have to call an electrician. And then there's one, the one bulb that I tried to put, you know, so it wouldn't be obvious is right when you open the door, you can see it. So I have a broken, one of the crystals is broken, but it's clean. <laughs> but now I have to call and order a new one. And it's just one of them crazy. Like this is my first Thanksgiving without my mom, so it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, so all you, I can relate. To, you guys can all relate to the, you know, our viewers loss of a mom or dad or a brother or sister. It's hard the first yeah. holiday without them. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. So I need all positive juju. So if anybody wants to hand me some, so that I don't burn the turkey. You won't. <laughs> or undercook the turkey and everybody gets sick. Put it at 350 for like five, six hours and cover and it and wait it for the thing to pop up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What, Sean? You know, yeah, just cook it for four or five hours and then take it out and let it rest for a while and then get ready to carve. Yeah, I think but the problem quick, is everybody's in a hurry. We got, we got a minute. What? So since this Thanksgiving, I'd like to ask you two a question. What are you grateful for? Oh my God. I'm grateful for every day I live with my family. I'm grateful for being here. I lost a lot of my family members. I lost two siblings, two sisters and a brother and my father and my mother. And I have, I am blessed and grateful for my beautiful children and their grandkids. John, I'm grateful that the UFO field and the experiences I described led me to become a reborn Christian which stopped the encounters in my house, which my children have also experienced. And I don't ever want this to be intergenerational on them, although it has been when they were younger. Mm -hmm. And I would do everything I could to stop that because everybody's happy with grandkids. And yeah. my son is moving uh, in a week to Missouri so his kids can grow up with his sister and everybody's That's good. Nice. Everybody's good. but. I'm glad that the uh, what I believe were demonic encounters from the UFO field has stopped. 
And I'm a reborn Christian now, and nothing will ever change my belief in God. What about you, uh, Sean? What am I grateful for? I'm just grateful that I do wake up every morning knowing that I'm alive. And that, and I'm also grateful for you two and others, um, for especially for getting me started on, on radio and podcasting. But mainly, I'm just grateful that I can wake up in the morning, not knowing what's going to happen, but know that I'm alive. Oh, well, that's, that's great. We're glad to that. All righty. Well, our, everybody, I'm thank on you so much. Yeah, we're on at 10. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. And happy Thanksgiving to all you uh, happy United States everybody. people. Happy Friday, you can put your Christmas lights up. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's what I'm going to do. That's I'm definitely going to do it. Not Goodbye. already. Up. <laughs> See you, everybody. Thanks for joining us Bye-bye. tonight. Chasing Prophecy. All right. See ya.